All right, welcome back. And we are here once again with my old friend and former sales rep, now turned founder, CEO of a thriving startup based in Florida, Peter Skidmore from Med Rep Meeting. You might have seen his posts and cool videos uh, talking about what they're building over there. Welcome to the show, Peter. Uh, thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate it. Uh, good to see you in the flesh, Richard, as well. Yeah, I was, I was, as soon as you said old, I was like, oh, he's, he's going for a dig on me. Um, <laughs> I could have been a dig on you, but you know, Peter, uh, hey, we're in the same boat, Richard, you know, yeah, and, you yeah know, he's right showing here. off his bald head. Basically what happens is after you work for me, you lose all your hair is what happens. <laughs> yep. This is a side effect of dealing with me as a boss. Yes. What is, what is, what is one of the things that, that you, uh, learned in your role as an inside sales rep way back when, Peter, that you still think about and use today in your in your CEO founder role? Yeah, good question. Um, I think one of the things that I've learned in the past is, you know, from being inside in that role would would have to be more or less is just putting keeping my head down, right? Um, staying focused on the end goal of what whatever that role was in the on the inside. Um, from scheduling the meeting to running a demo, what is that end goal? And, you know, focusing on the execution, head down, um, not worrying about the noise, um, because there's a lot of noise that that happens in those, you know, environments, right? And the people that, you know, what I've learned is, you know, and you've taught this pretty well is, you know, keep your head down and stay focused on the end goal and don't worry about everything around you. And, you know, that's when you'll see, you know, a lot of success there. Well, let's, let's tell everybody what it, it is that you've been working on, you know, for a while now and what, what med rep meeting is and, and why it's so exciting. Yeah. So, you know, uh, med rep meeting launched in March. Uh, we've been working on it. March 16th was the launch date. Um, and, you know, over the last seven years prior, uh, I was leading major aesthetic company number two, constantly not top five in sales over the last seven years and notice a lot of the things that I missed had to do with time. So when I launched MedRep meeting, um, we had four very, uh, you know, fine tuned goals in saving outside sales reps time, including medical reps and outside of medicine, um, which was, Hey, scheduling meetings takes time, um, pulling financial, you know, figuring out if that doctor is financially able to purchase, that takes time. Um, number three, um, you know, understanding who you're walking into um, and what kind of doctor you're meeting with um, before you even get there. And then number four, um, launching a platform that allows not only the reps to manage your schedule, but also the leaders to understand what the reps are doing on a daily basis from a bird's eye view. That's never been a thing. So my goal was to launch all of these things so it can make the life easier on the medical sales rep, but also give their team the ability to, you know, um, monetize the meetings and figure out where is all of the revenue coming from and, um, you know, are they meeting with good doctors, right? And that was the main goal was to save time. So over the last seven months, um, you know, north of 15,000 meetings scheduled, uh, we're saving these reps tons of time. Yeah. Richard, you're either on mute or we can't hear you at all. There you go. Richard, turn your mic on. That might be the first time we've had that experience. 
Well, no, last week when we were doing your other thing, but uh, that's all right. Um, give some context, though, if you don't mind, around what does MedRep meeting do? So as you're explaining these things that you put into your platform, which I think are uh, horizontal about anybody building some kind of platform, but just give people some context of what MedRep meeting is. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I launched MedRep meeting, this was based off of, in, you know, a concept that I've always we always wanted, we wanted somebody to schedule our meetings with doctors that we want to meet with on a daily basis. So when we launched, um, it was just me. And um, in the two months, we, you know, me scheduling the meetings and then just typing it out manually and putting in their calendar. Um, but what we do at a super high level is for any company that is meeting with any B2B company, uh, you know, service, whether it's medicine, dental, Cairo, I mean, ortho, um, anything that has to do in the medical space, um, we put you in front of the doctor, whether it be for coffee or for lunch or after patient meet, um, you know, after patient hours. And so it goes from a phone call to a meeting and how it gets there is through multiple rigorous quality assurance um, touches to make sure that that meeting sticks. Um, so it goes from a phone call to a meeting and then directly on to their calendar as well as the application. So uh, I just want to I just want to make sure that that I hear it. So this is way beyond sort of a quote unquote traditional SDR function as someone might think, right? Correct. You're, so you're, yeah. you're actually working with not only your clients but you're getting the doctors to commit to a face to face. Correct. That's huge. That I mean, I love that you found it in a niche of you know, hey, let's go after this medical thing, and I get it because I talked to a lot of people in medical sales. I never did it. Um, and I know face-to-face -face is like the big thing, but wow, yeah, I mean, really we're cool. doing it virtually too, though, Richard, like we just did a pilot um, last, we just ended our first month uh, MedRep marketing uh, and we scheduled 36 demos, virtual demos with doctors or marketing, um, you know, executives for these companies um, in 20 selling days. And when you start looking at it and saying, oh, wow, well, we can do it here on the medical side. Let's pilot this on this side, see if it, see what happens. Right. Um, and boom, we've seen a tremendous amount of revenue on that side. So we're going to move into other aspects, but we're slow rolling that. Our main focus is to execute here. And then, you know, we'll, we'll touch other spaces and see what happens. And I think that's right. Like, it's like, you know, I see so often that startups will try to boil the ocean, right? You know, this, this pain that you solve is massively horizontal, right? We know this. But you're like, wait a minute, let's focus on this group. Let's get good at this. Let's try to own that space. And then the other stuff starts to fall into place at some point, right? Um, yep. Was was it based on your sales background? Was that the reason? Like, hey, I no, own, no, like, no, definitely, definitely not. Uh, no, we'll, we'll, uh, definitely not. I am, uh, hey, we want this. We're going to build it. We're going to build it now. Um, and typically... Yeah, that's always worked for me in that space, right? Like mm -hmm. it worked really well. Hey, we're going to get, well, this is what I'm going to go after. I'm going to go after now. We're going to go get it. Well, um, that's not how it worked. I called Scott a month in and I said, Scott, I need your help. And he said, I need you to slow down before we talk. Um, because you have seven different things that, you know, are going to boil into this, this one thing um, eventually, but we have to get really good at this. Right. So we got really, really good at scheduling the meetings. And then we got really, really good at quality assurance now. And now we got really, really good at adding in the technology. Right. And then we'll we'll push that all up. So, um, no, I didn't. Right. I was a running gun. That's who I am as a person. Right. Um, so 
um, it was nice to have somebody like Scott sit me down and say, Hey, so this is my question, right? Like how, how hard was it for you to not just hear that advice, but actually be willing to do it. And I, because again, this kind of goes back to that startup founder, you know, where it's like, there's so much to do and we can do it all. And I want to do it all. Yeah. It's a great point. I don't out of their own way. I don't think it was hard to do it. Um, I think the biggest, uh, the hardest thing is understanding why and understanding that um, has to happen. And the idea of that in general, when somebody's not used to that and getting them to understand something super new can be, you know, kind of overwhelming. Um, But I know I'm not perfect uh, as if, as is every other human in in the world. Um, And a lot of times when people look in from the outside, you know, they don't see the inner working twine of of this and that. Right. Um, So they don't understand it to to tell me this is where I need to go. Right. Um, But the slowing down is more of an understanding it because doing it's easy, but understanding it's a lot harder. What's that part though? When did you realize you understood it? Uh, I realized when I understood it, um, when I go into these, these mindsets of, Hey, if we add this, this can do this, this can do this. And when you, when I start thinking about all of these things and how am I going to execute all of these things at a high level, if I can't focus here. And I think it was just a mindset thing, right? It's not really necessarily like, Oh, I figured it out. This is how it's done. Um, it's, uh, okay, let's, what's the reason why and understanding why we need to do this to get to the next level. Um, that is the difficult part because when you have that kind of running gun and you have that, Hey, I'm going to just go, go, go and get it. But you don't really understand why, um, you're doing that. Right. And what's going to happen afterwards. So when you slow down and you understand the aftermath before it happens and you understand, Hey, if we do this, this is what's going to happen. Um, but understanding that is, is the hardest part. It's not the doing of it. So Scott, I want to flip the question to you. How, what is the advice you try to give to someone like Peter to slow down, to speed up, to stop and focus and understand um, for those who are, who are thinking about this, right? Because it's easier said than done. And um, I know you well enough to know that it'll be a pretty direct conversation. Yeah. <laughs> You know, what do you say to these people so that they can kind of go, it's okay, not, maybe I should do that. It's not that sophisticated, to be honest with you. It's just like, listen, get good at the one thing before you worry about trying to do something else and dilute your focus and all this, right? And at the time when I first talked to Peter or anybody, they often have hit on something special and they're working on it. And like all creative, you know, entrepreneurial genius people they got a million ideas flying around and all of them would be amazing to execute on and nobody has time to do all of those kind of things especially when we haven't even mastered the first thing so don't talk to me about trying to sell product two three four five and six when you can't even fucking sell the first one yet in a repeatable way that's it it's really that simple you know so founder comes in working on something they're off to a great start Two months later, they're like, hey, I was thinking about this. I could do this, that, and the other. My first thought is, well, how's the first thing going? You know? So 
you know, call it slowing down, call it pumping the brakes. It's really just stay focused and get really good at the one thing before you try to do something else. It's not that different than advice you'd give somebody who's thinking about starting a side hustle, for example, a, a rep who's thinking about moonlighting and doing something else like, well, hold on. Are you even good at your first job yet? Let's get good at that thing first before we decide, you know, <clears throat> what to do next. Cool. So, Peter, I'm going to shift it with one fun question, and then we'll turn it back over to Scott, which is because uh, you and I both have a, a, a shared background of having worked for Scott. Um, what, as you think about this, and I, and I mean this in a very sincere way, like there's a lot of fun that we can have, but Scott has this great ability to be an amazing leader. So now that you work for someone like Scott, as well as now taking advice at this point, if you look back at your career, what kind of leadership qualities do you feel are important? Um, they could, and they could be have influenced or created, you know, taught to you from Scott, but just in general. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the biggest one that's always like, you know, kept me like just this morning before noon scheduled 10 meetings for our reps that we schedule meetings for. Right. And doing this by leading from the front, like that's going to be the massive one, right. Lead from the front. Right. Because if you're leading people and they think that, you know, they're better than you at what you're doing um, and they're proving that they're better than you at what they're doing. Um, you know, I'm a big firm believer in, in leading from the front, um, you know, and getting in the, the trenches with my team, um, but also showing them on the back end that, you know, we can do other things that are fun and, 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 and lead a different way. Right. And, you know, understanding, I, I, and this hasn't came from Scott and, you know, it took me a long time to really understand this, um, but understanding why all of the people that work for me, what makes them happy and focusing on their happiness and focusing on those things, um, I think is even bigger than leading from the front some most times, because when you can focus on the happiness of your people, um, when they're happy, they're going to thrive. They're going to be in a very comfortable place with momentum and, 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 um, activity and and they want to come to work because they're happy and it's we don't really call it work and we we, we call it you know happiness right and 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 whatever's going to make them happy in life whether it be work and i tell this to all my people you want to go play the guitar you want to be in a rock band you go fucking do that okay that's going to make you the happiest you do that right just like my kids you want to be a violinist a pianist you want to be an artist you want to be an astronaut you do that because that's going to make you the happiest. And even in our international interviews, I tell them straight up, I do not care whether you work for me or not. I care that you're happy. So before you, I send you an offer or before, uh, please make sure this is going to make you happy and this is what you want, right? And understanding all of your employees' happiness is the most important part for me. Can you, can you, let's go from happiness happiness to total depression <laughs> well how do you how do you compare the rejection that you get as a founder from the rejection that you get as a rep i'm calling accounts up i get told no i get told to scram or whatever that's one type of rejection a different type of rejection at least i imagine so when you're the founder and it's like this is your baby and somebody tells you no, or somebody tells you your idea is no good, or, you know, we don't want to invest in you or whatever. Is it all the same or 
Does it hit harder um, than the founder? Ah, that's a good one. You know why? Because it's different. Um, as a rep, the objection, there is no objection. So, you know, we warm call. We don't cold call. There's no objections. We have a 90% connection rate. Um, if they say no, um, it's no big deal, right? Um, we don't fight for meetings. Um, Not we. I mean you specifically. Yeah, I, I'm saying as a rep, even when I got turned down, if I'm making a cold call and they say, no, we don't meet with reps, no problem, Susan, have a great day. It's that's what you're doing right now, not back in the day when you used to even be. back in the day. Yeah. Even when I was scheduling over the last seven years. For, well, that explains why I gave Peter so much shit and he wasn't hitting his number of 10 years ago. It's all it all has come full circle, Richard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, well, I would yeah. get mad when we when I wouldn't close a deal. OK, we set this guy up. We took him yeah. through the whole process. Rejected. And he rejected me and we put everything on the table. It sucks. Yes. And I'm driving home and I'm like, this sucks. Compare that rejection to rejection that you get now. Same. Doesn't change. Yeah, yeah that doesn't, doesn't change. It doesn't sting any any worse or is any easier. Uh, no. And, and I've learned over the years to take a, that rejection differently. So it doesn't necessarily, I, I, I take more of, hey, what could I have done differently to, to get it done? Um, and it lessens the pain when you start dialing it in. But uh, the pain's still there. It sucks, but it's it's not the end of the world. Luckily enough for Mentor yeah. at Meeting, we haven't had that situation yet. But is it, is it harder to learn how to be a good leader or harder to learn different aspects of running a business that you might not have had experience with coming from sales? Uh, I would say the business side because, um, <clears throat> you know, Growing up, they don't really teach that. So, you know, sometimes you, they teach you how to get a, you know, can teach you how to get a job and give you, you know, the tools to go get an interview or, you know, things like that. But as a, as a business owner and all the responsibilities we have, that that's never taught, right? There's nothing that you go through in life unless you go through a business coaching school and this and that or surf and sales and have a network of community like Richard and, and yourself and other people. Um, but there's no really foundation that's built from the ground up. Um, that is, is, is more like life trained is, Hey, you might be a business owner. And if you are, these are the responsibilities that may come into place and you, they don't walk you through that process at a, at a, at an age that, you know, you can understand that coming out of school at a super high level to say, Oh, well, I do want to go get a job or I want to go get a, be an entrepreneur, go start my own business. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that's my answer there. It's, it's definitely harder on the business side. Um, as a leader, it's super difficult to, you know, understand humans, let alone be a leader. But if you can understand the human at a, at a super high level, uh, you can understand how to lead people and because you're human, just like they are. Um, so I think that's a little easier for me, at least is, you know, humanizing that side of things. Yeah. I mean, I, Richard knows this, I would have trouble with doing all the accounting. Okay. Yeah. We hire that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a CFO for that. Like we don't like, no, please. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I have the same issue. I, I got, uh, I would say one of the reasons I got let go or downsized in my last real job, one, they were getting acquired, but the other was I was, I was in charge of sales ops. And for them, that meant I had to track all the revenue. 
So I had to run the spreadsheet, all this stupid shit. And it was just like every quarter I got yelled at by the founder and CEO. And it's like, dude, that's not my mindset. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I, it's not my job to care about how you track this to report it to the board. Like I'm running other stuff, um, you know, when they just didn't want to buy it, get an accountant, right? They just didn't want to get a CFO. On this company. That's why Richard works for himself. Now, totally. The gentleman. Totally. And hey, we got a we got a good question for you here. If we brought in a a professor from college who taught entrepreneurship to their students, what do you think they're teaching people that is completely wrong? Wow. Um, so number one, I wouldn't know what they're teaching to begin with. Um, <laughs> Neither would we. There was no such thing when we were in school. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if I had a professor coming in, uh, teaching cold calling, that would be super wrong to me. That would be, uh, you why? Know, because they, because they've presumably never done it or the, Oh no, whether they've done it or not done it, whether they've done it or not done it, we shouldn't call it that anymore. Um, we're in 2022. We have so much data on every single person that we call. I know that. You know, Richard's wife likes to meet with her friends at the wine bar on Thursday nights. Um, you know, I like uh, Richard likes to go to karaoke on Sunday at, you know, the local, you know, karaoke spot. I know that they take their dogs to the dog park at five o'clock and meet up with Cindy and Jeff who have a poodle. We have so much data on these people at this point. Um, I'm so sick of it being trained. Um, it's really bad for everyone coming into any SDR, any account executive role. And retraining something that hasn't worked over the last decade dig into uh, this richard yep I'm, I'm i'm listening first of all i can't believe he has your calendar memorized like, totally <laughs> it's kind of scary yeah uh, but yeah i mean that's really where it's going incredibly wrong and it still is and i'm seeing it daily and it's putting a very oh. bad taste in my mouth so what is your so going deep into this sort of cold calling piece, right? Do you, and in your niche, you know, it's, at least as you've explained, it sounds like you don't have to do traditional cold calling. Do you feel like outbound at this cold call, cold email, building a sequence or cadence level is good, bad? Like, where do you think it is in the- Oh, well, that's a different subject. Do I think email cadences and sequences and different things to drive revenue is a must? Yeah, I think it's good to have those things. Um, you know, but even down to that, you know, knowing that John is X, we know he has a Porsche. We know he lives in Santa Monica, California. You know, we know he's this far away from the beach. You have that data. So the email should never be cold. You have some sort of data connected to whoever that is. So it's that philosophy of show me, you know me. Yeah. And I do know you, Right. I know you went to the conference in, you know, March. I know that, you know, there's so much data points that we can pull on every single person that eh, we shouldn't be calling it cold calling anymore. But is it though? Because like there, there are plenty of places like aren't there doctors who've never heard of you and you don't know them? Oh, yeah, for sure. So how do you find that kind of information? And again, it's you know, niche specific, but yeah, I mean, there's listen, we, out there. Yeah, we run data 24 hours, seven days a week. Right. So our data stack is, is tremendously large. Number one, we're pulling it from multiple places. 
Um, no, we don't pay 25,000 a year for Zoom info. Um, and no, we will not pay for that. Um, but, yeah, but it sounds like you're paying $25,000 a year for something. Yeah, it's a lot cleaner. And, and we know way more, right? We know down to their buying power. And so when we start looking at this thing, um, high level, right, whether it's in our space or another space, it doesn't matter. You know, do we you think that cold calling across sales industry is no longer valid. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't call it cold calling. You should just call it warm calling. Even why though, are we, why are we preaching it? So now we're playing. So now we're just playing semantics and word games. No, because we're not cold calling. We know you. I know you. I'm going to consistently call it warm calling. Yeah, but if you're I know a startup you. who doesn't, right? Like you're trying to sell into the Fortune, whatever, or even SMB, where that data is not there. But even if it is, even if it is semantics, Richard. Would it, do you think it's possible that calling it warm calling instead of cold calling would adjust certain sellers' mindsets and make them more open to implementing the strategy? Well, I think, I think so, but I also think that um, it, maybe I'm old school, but it, it also, all, yes, you, like, are. You, you know, but it could be like, you're not really, it's not very truthful. Right. Even though you have more information about somebody, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a that doesn't that doesn't change the conversation. That doesn't change the, the, the scripting. It doesn't change the messaging. I just know you so well, Richard, and I know your personality down to the thousand of personalities that we speak to on a daily basis that I know exactly what to say to Richard. That's going to move that needle. Because Great. I OK, tell me. Go for it. Right. So by the know, end of this, by the end of this call, you're going to go do some research. <laughs> And you're going to uh, no, like, yeah, cold call me. You're going to you warm know, call me. In general, right? Um, if I'm calling a restaurant and I have a software that helps restaurants capitalize on liquor sales or wine sales or streamlines their process, whoever that is, right? I and just I think say, it's misleading to the rest. It's, it's not though, Richard, because you know why? You own the restaurant. Let's just put this in perspective. You own the restaurant. We know that Richard owns not only this restaurant, he owns two other restaurants and we know he uses X, Y, and Z and we know his pain point is X and we're going to attack that pain point and we're going to attack it in a way that- That doesn't Richard mean it's warm. The, the, the concept of warm means that there's some level of not just understanding, but that there's some level of mutual knowing of each other. Uh, I think it's a, it's more on the lines of what Scott said. It's a mindset thing. It's a 1000% mindset thing, thinking you're going into a cold call every Scott, call. If you saw a job, if you saw a job application or a job description that said warm calling, no cold calling needed, and you got there and they said, well, it's warm because we have all this data. Would you be pissed? I think that I would be confused because the concept is new to me. And then if I said, hey, Scott, listen, I have 5,000 doctor's offices that we know that Jennifer takes coffees at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays, and we know Dr. Smith does women's health, and we're calling on a women's health company, and we have all that data. Is that a warm call or a cold call, Scott? I would say it's warmer than what I've historically called a cold call. That's that's a very I, I you know it's a fun debate. Like I, I know we can keep it going. is a, it, yeah. it, it, it it is a fun Good. debate. It yeah. is a fun debate. Yeah, I like it. I love it. Yeah, but it is. A, there's no denying that it's a mindset thing. Right? Right. I don't Correct. think you can deny right. that. And if you yeah, move no. the, if you move the needle on getting your sales team 
to get more active and do things because you've, you've helped adjust their mindset to say, hey, it might not be double-sided warm, but it's now at least one-sided warm. Isn't that better than double-sided cold? The answer is yes. Yeah. To me, the answer is yes. Yeah. So the side of the bed that you sleep in is usually warm. Yes. The other side that's cold. <laughs> yes. So my bed is warmer than yours. So, uh, no, he no heating blanket. No heating there blanket. There you go. There you go. So what are the what made you want to go from you know an individual contributor where there's theoretically some level of security and a job and you know money and that kind of stuff to I'm gonna go for this thing. I'm gonna make it happen. Oh uh, well, good question. Um so in March I realized, you know, I was doing well, right? And, you know, when you go from inside rep to, to outside and, you know, the space I was in is the MLB. It's the only place in medicine where you're going to make 800, 900, 1.2 a year. And with no college education, Richard, I said, this is my shot. So I took a lower level role. My first year made 150. Every year after that was north of 350 to 1.2. And when you get into, of, whoa, this is what it looks like on the, on the other side, um, I got lost, dude, because it was so, it was, it was way more money than I, than I have ever made in my life. Um, and I was willing to give up everything. Um, that includes my kids, my wife, my time. And over that seven years, when I left in March, I said, I don't need, we have enough money, babe. Like we have a nice house. Like we have nice cars. We're good. We're financially stable. Enough was in the bank. And then, um, I woke up two weeks later and said, I could probably, babe, I could probably just make hundred K working 10 hours a week. And then I made two phone calls. I'm making hundred K. And then I called Scott and I said, Scott, I have an idea. And this is my idea. <laughs> that's, how early, that's how early he was. And, and he said, well, Peter, if you can execute this, it's probably going to be pretty crazy and incredible. Um, so that's really, I think the biggest, the, what, what is the time? So the lost time that I realized how much time I actually lost. And then I realized how much that time was actually worth way more than 3 million, way more than 10 million. You couldn't give me, two, three, four, 10, 20 million right now and say, Hey, Peter, you're going to be gone from your family for another seven years. Not happening. Like, and I don't know if it was when we went through COVID and, and all of these other things that forced us to be at home with our kids and families and things like that, where we started to value time a little more, but the value of time has dramatically increased um, probably tenfold in the last three to four years. And people are looking at that at a whole different ballgame. So when I flipped the switch to time, it was more or less of that's what I lost. Um, so I need to get that back with my family. So this is really why I hunkered down and said, hey, this is why I got out of it. It wasn't about the money. As a, as a, as a kid growing up, were you always open to sort of taking these leaps of faith, right? It's um, uh, tough, you know, um, broken home. You know, uh, three sports, brother, two years apart, uh, spaghetti four or five nights a week, um, open to taking leaps of faith, I guess. You know, I was just open to doing everything. I was the I was the spontaneous one. I was the one that, you know, uh, would jump, go to the cliffs, uh, the 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 quarries in, in Baltimore and jump off the cliffs where my brother was 
you know, scared of it. Right. Or, you know, he was right there with me, but just an example. Right. But I was that kid that said, Hey, I'm going to let's wherever, right. Let's go. Um, my family's changed that a lot, but you know, we're, that's kind of how it was as a child was more like that. What, what do you think, um, as you look at this willing to take a leap of faith thing, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it. What about this upbringing made you go, I don't want to be like this. I want, I've got to go solve this part. Cause you know, so often we hear these, you know, it's just a perpetual cycle of things. Uh, it's not and, necessarily of like me looking back on my childhood saying, I'm not going to let this be like this. Um, it's more of looking at, the bigger picture of now where back then, you know, we didn't have Roblox and we didn't have uh, iPads and phones and technology so early. Yeah. Did I have a super Nintendo that love playing Zelda? Did I love playing my PlayStation and Tekken? Yes. But we did not have what we have today in technology wise to really answer the question, how I would want to answer it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, that's a, that's a question I don't really have an answer to. That's all right. I think that's part of the answer. Right? That is part of it. That's 100%. It feels like you just you decided to not look backwards, which meant you only have opportunities to go forward. Right. And that's not a bad decision. That's just, yeah. But I think that I was that's chasing it. something I don't different, though. Richard, I'm chasing something different where a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, a lot of creative thinkers, and you know, a lot of business people think differently I, i'm not chasing money so so say that again because you're again and just expound on it you're not chasing the money yeah chasing. Well, i'm chasing time because we can't get it back so my objective over the next three years is i'm chasing time because when we're done here my time i want to give back my family the seven years that i missed i want to you know do things that I don't have to be constricted. I don't have to, Hey, I have a conference call. I have a this, this, and this good. Do you want to hop on a, a conference? Yeah, let's do it. But I don't have, I have time. Right. And I think it's very, very important um, to realize that, you know, when we can stop chasing the dollar as much, the dollar will come for when you're happy. But if we can create time, which is now the most valuable thing in the world, guess what else follows? You know who sucks at this on this call? Scott. Yeah, he raised his hand, everybody. Like, Scott, what do you, because I am I love you and I know you. And, and on the one hand, you preach this, how do I work less and make more? On the other hand, I know you grind it out pretty hard from a Me time too. perspective. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I kind of rise and fall with the tide on this one. There's, there's certain times that I'm really, really terrible at this. Right now is one of those times, Richard, as you witnessed a week ago yeah. when you we were here visiting. But there, there'll be another tide that goes out and I'll get really good at it. And I'll go back to, you know, not working on Mondays or Fridays at all and just really do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, I, I don't know the answer other than like there's, I agree with the mission wholeheartedly. It's part of my goal. I'm taking moves, making actions, like to make that happen, creating digital assets, for example, is one way in my business to hopefully 
you know, make money while you sleep, so to speak. Um, but a sprint and then rest kind of model, I think has helped. Um, and, and Peter, just out of curiosity, is that, I mean, and maybe that's what chasing time is. It is this sprint rest model, right? It may not be, you know, until you quote unquote retire, so to speak. Yeah. Do you feel like you're on that sprint rest model too? Or have you really built this structure of like, I can shut it off at three o'clock every day? Like, how, no, how do you do that? no, 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 no. That's completely different. I, I think Scott hit it on the head as, you know, as far as like, you know, we're never going to be or good at that, right? Especially when it's very unknown and very new for people to chase time now, because it's, we're starting to realize how valuable it is. And Scott, my question really, while we're on this topic, um, how long did it take you to realize that the end goal that you were chasing is eventually that time? At what stage in your life did you realize that? Because I know it well, took not- me 33 years to understand it. Yeah, well, it, it took me less than that, but um, it took a near-death experience to give me that kind of perspective. And then it took me 15 years or so to actually execute it. <laughs> That's the difference. You know, I wasn't uh, as brave or bold in taking like big decisive action towards getting all this time back. I knew that it was an end goal and I, I kind of went about it fairly methodically and piecemeal. Um, but Scott, I, you know, so, I think I've been pretty good at it for the last few years overall, even though Richard's giving me hell right now. Oh, but, I'm not giving you hell. And, I'm, I'm bringing it up because I, I yeah, want yeah. to. Well, it's, a, it's a season of that, though. Like, I just don't. When I claw time back, I don't think about it, at least on a every single day basis. Like. I only work from 10 to two every day. I don't think of it like that. I think of it as there's going to be days where I work my ass off, like eight to eight nonstop phone calls. But then there's going to be two weeks where I'm like, I'm going to Costa Rica. Adios. I'll barely do anything. Right. Um, So the balance comes differently for me. Yeah, and it's it's really similar. I'll go eight to two a.m. some nights, Richard. Right now, we're because we're so young. We're we launched March sixteenth, so I don't expect to get what we want out of this the first year. Maybe not the second. Maybe not the third year. Um, by year three, though, whether three and a half, four years, whether it's me, you know, doing something else or whatever. Um, there's certain steps. There's certain steps that are just impossible to skip over. Yep. You know, and when you have the perspective of of finding balance, and you know that that's the ultimate goal, you're always doing what you can, even while you're in these sprints. But the moment you have an opportunity to not be sprinting, you shut it down. Yep. Right. And and I think that that's a skill. And, 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 and a mindset. And, you know, when that's the end game, decisions you make should hopefully start slowly pushing you that way. Whether you get there at 23, 33, 43, 53, or whatever is, you know, irrelevant on some level. Yeah, there's, journey. there's something to be said for, hey, you got to go grind it out to know you don't want to grind it out. Um, and, and part of that decision could be based on the lifestyle you want. 
right? At least in the sales world that I think we live in. So, um, but I, I, you know, you kind of have to have some experience. I wouldn't say I don't want people to go burn out. Um, oh, I, I, Richard, I agree. I mean, look, listen, I, I wake up at 8, 830. I'm on the phones with my team by 915. And I'm done at 9, 30, 10, 2 a.m. Sometimes. This How the fuck do you have right kids now? and get to sleep until 8.30 in the morning? Oh, I, dude, my wife is the best. I mean, dude, it's incredible. That um, is good. good the only thing, we, we have a three-year-old now that wakes up saying, mommy, mommy, mommy. And then she's like, hey, you need to go put him back to bed, though. Yeah. If I go get him, he's coming in here. And this is right. not happening. So, Kudos uh, to your wife. Hat tip to the wife. Oh, yeah. No, her job's way harder than mine. Um, I've said it multiple times, right? Um, you know, raising kids is not easy yeah. and either is growing a business, either is working 70 hours a week, totally right? Um, but pick your poison. Yeah. So we gotta, we gotta move to wrap this up. And, and I love how we ended on that, that piece so that people can understand there's a balance in all of this stuff. Um, quick shout out to all of our sponsors of Sendoso, Scratchpad, Outreach, and yeah, Peter and MedRep Meeting. They're our newest sponsor this year. So Peter, thank you and the team for, for coming on board and supporting us. And we're glad to share this space with you. Uh, as always, what, what kind of question do you have for us before we get out of here? Yeah, a couple. Uh, one off the top um, that I've been questioning a lot lately, and it's happening so much um, across, uh, whether it be software, mortgage, medical, um, why are we running talented people, whether it be at a lower level or a higher level, a rigorous hiring process still? And why haven't we learned from this, number one? And why are we still doing it? Because I can't, I cannot put my hand on the, the answer there because we have a 30 to an hour hiring process and I you know, it's, we, our turnover rate is very low. Um, but I see it day in and day out that top end reps are going through three, four five interviews with different people. And I, it's very frustrating to me. Yeah. So where are you guys seeing this and, and, and why, or why haven't we, why haven't we learned? The, the short answer is it's because most people suck at interviewing. Um, one, the leader, <laughs> the founder, and, Oftentimes, us as the candidate, because it's kind of like that entrepreneur thing. It's not taught. Like I've, I've got an asset that talks about how to own your interview skills and how to do all this stuff. That was fairly simple. It wasn't hard to put together, but I had to figure it out on my own. And people like it, but I didn't know how to interview anybody. I wasn't great at it for a really long time. Um, and then even as a candidate, I remember there was one time when I was, before I started this, I went to go visit Scott and I was like, Scott. I keep getting to this fourth round of the interview and I can't get over that home. And, you know, Scott, I, and, and I asked him, you know, what do you think it is? And because Scott knows, like, he, you know, to your point, he knows that I go and do karaoke on Sunday nights. Um, but uh, he was able to point out that I was starting to make that part of the interview more about me. Um, and that maybe because of my own personality and ego, I was showing some level of frustration that I was in this fourth fucking interview. Um, and so part of it is the system's just been designed that way and nobody knows how to change it. It's kind of like Scott and I had this belief that we could go and, and sit, train salespeople at professional sports teams on real sales training. 
the challenge is they're such a copycat league as as Scott, Scott likes to say they only want to do what somebody else has done and they're risk averse i also think in the startup world the vcs are pushing it people are chasing money as you mentioned earlier um but it's not taught i mean do you sit down and teach any of us how to actually interview i mean we sat down and maybe bullshitted over it but we never really sat down and now i think there are people no but it's more or less like yeah but richard whether you like to interview or not and you interview this guy you love this guy right why are you the vp now have to get confirmation from your senior leadership team and why do you have to get confirmation that's because that's because everybody's that's because everybody's afraid to make a decision on their own dude it's great it's wild to me anyway i'll shut up and let scott jump in on this one the the other half of that story is that reps don't feel empowered enough to say no or vps to say no i mean if i if i went back on the market and tried to interview for CRO rules right now. Part of what I would ask would be talk to me about the interview process, Peter, what's, what's going to be entailed. And if you told me there was like a 10 step process and I felt like I had to, you know, do a PhD thesis to get the job, I'd probably tell you thanks, but no thanks. I'd just walk away. I would just be like, nope, not doing that one. But I yeah. think not enough people feel empowered. And so, you know, as long as companies can get away with having an interview process like that, because reps either don't know any better or don't feel confident or empowered enough or have enough support and resources around them to feel confident in saying no to that and passing on that kind sure. of role, it doesn't, think, have to, it doesn't have to change yet. I think that goes back to what I, I agree with Scott is that there's this sense of desperation and it goes back to this, I don't want to make this decision by myself because then it's my fault. Um, and I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, but I, I that's think so it's, soft. It's such a fucking cop out. So stupid, dude. That is literally, it's going to frustrate me knowing that now that you are just <laughs> so soft. You are muffin soft and can't say no and pass them along. So it's oh. so funny because Scott and I have always said, if we could get paid to go do job interviews, it's kind of like if we could get paid to go take someone's SAT test by doing yeah. their job interview and I get them hired, that. we'd make so much money. I would love to do that. Yeah. Professional so. interviewer. New new job. Totally. 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 <laughs> All right, Peter, we uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us, man. We wish you and MedRep meeting uh, all the best and continued success. Thanks for joining us on the Surf and Sales podcast. See no, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, man. Good to see you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, guys.